We love to explain quantum physics and the mysteries of the universe, but the mysteries of finance, not so much. Intuit helps you demystify your finances through products from Intuit like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Understanding standard deductions or interest rates can be very complicated and tricky with big potential consequences. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get into it. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, Sleep Tight Stories. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Hey, Daniel, what's it like to discover a new particle of nature? You know, it's a lot less dramatic than you might expect. Oh, really? There's no eureka moment or some grand reveal? It's usually a lot more gradual than like dropping a velvet curtain or something. It's more like watching water drain out of the tub to reveal the toys at the bottom. You make it sound so exciting. I'm not sure how Steven Spielberg is going to portray that in a moment of my life. But, you know, it gets even worse. Sometimes we don't even agree about whether or not we did discover something. Mm, Sometimes it's like, is that a toy at the bottom of the tub or is that something else <laughs> but what do you mean like some, sometimes you discover something and some people are like no i don't think that's a thing yeah we can basically disagree about anything in particle physics even about whether you disagree or not that's the one thing we can agree on I'm a cartoonist and the creator of PhD Comics. Hi, I'm Daniel. I'm a particle physicist and a professor at UC Irvine. And when I got into this field, I really did think there were going to be more discoveries to be had. Well, isn't it kind of up to you to make those discoveries? <laughs> Why do you, you sound like you're complaining? It's partially up to me, but it's also up to nature. You know, when you go out and do research, you never know what you're going to find and you never know what's out there for you to find. It's like the folks who were hoping to discover life on Mars. They worked hard. 
they did their job, they built their rovers. There just wasn't life on Mars for them to find. And it's sort of the same way in particle physics. It's been a little bit dry for us thirsty folks. Mm, are you going to ask for your money back from nature or <laughs> your, your career back? I'm hoping the government doesn't ask for their $10 billion back. <laughs> then we'll Holy be in trouble. <laughs> We'll have to auction off bits of the LHC. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Offer it as souvenirs, like memorial, you know, <laughs> special keepsakes. You get a little bit of this superconducting magnet. The world's nerdiest Etsy shop, bits of the LHC. There are actually people who've done salvage on the superconducting super collider in Texas. A lot of the equipment there was just abandoned and people have grabbed some of it and saved it as keepsakes. Mm, I bet people would buy a piece of the LHC, right? Wouldn't they? It's the thing that discovered the Higgs boson. <laughs> That's kind of a big deal. Like you might actually find, you know, the little sensor pad that actually caught the first Higgs. <laughs> let's let's get in on that. Let's we'll sell it on that. the Daniel and Jorge online shop. <laughs> it can be like pieces of the true cross. We can sell more of them than actually existed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Amazingly, uh, it's, it's magical as well. It multiplies the LHC. <laughs> but what do you think you would have done if you hadn't been a particle physicist? Someone who explores life on Mars? <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually did two degrees as an undergrad. I did physics and computer science, and I also applied to grad school in computer science. I was going to do artificial intelligence and machine learning. So that was sort of my other life. Wow. Man, I'm sorry to say, but you totally missed that boat. <laughs> you would probably be a billionaire, I guess, but then we wouldn't have this podcast. Or maybe we would. We would have a super popular podcast about AI. Yeah, but then I'd be responsible for people's self-driving cars crashing. And I don't know if I could handle that kind of responsibility. <laughs> well, it's not your fault. It's the car's fault. That's why you give them sentience to absolve yourself of any responsibility. Right, right. Just like we're not responsible for whether our kids grow up to be serial killers or not. Exactly. Right. Wait, what? <laughs> what's going on with your kid there? <laughs> maybe it's your kids. Are you already thinking about. ahead? <laughs> I do wonder about those serial killers and whether their parents feel responsible. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, I do wonder about my son. I was like, whoa. <laughs> but anyways, welcome to our podcast, Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe, a production of iHeartRadio. We are not responsible for the incredible, crazy, bonkers, beautiful universe out there, but we do feel responsible for helping you to understand it. We dig in deep into what's going on out there in the universe and we try to process it. We chop it up and we serve it all up to you. Hope to educate and entertain you at the same time. That's right. Welcome to our 290th course meal here <laughs> on, on the amazing food for thought that is the universe because it is pretty awesome. And uh, to be honest, I do feel a little bit responsible for that. <laughs> you know, you were reaching for a big number there, but I think the number of episodes is more like 480 or something by now. Oh my goodness. It's like the, the banquet that never ends. More <laughs> like a, maybe it's more like a buffet. <laughs> Where we take, we bring out the food little by little. That's right. Every course has to be super tiny for you to be able to finish course number 500. Eventually we'll get to dessert. Now, do we reveal each course of this meal or do we just let the water drain and <laughs> let the food sit at the bottom? Every episode is letting the water drain and hoping that there's some understanding to be revealed. <laughs> <laughs> that is how we record this. We just sit down, we start talking and we hope that some um, knowledge comes out of it. We hope there's gold and not a floating turd in that bathtub. Oh man, can you say that on our podcast? <laughs> I guess you just did. Let's see if it gets past the sensors. Which are you. Yes, I'm the sensor. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, pushing things out, let's dive into the topic of the episode here today. So it is, as we said, an amazing and incredible universe full of amazing and lots of little things. 
Lots of little things out there that keep the universe together. And over the last 50 years or so, we have pulled apart matter to reveal its basic constituents. We know that you are made of molecules, which are made of atoms, which are built out of electrons, protons, and neutrons. We've even pulled the protons and neutrons apart to discover that they are made of quarks. We have found other quarks out there and other versions of the electron. We have this wonderful periodic table of the fundamental particles that we describe using the standard model, which paints a very nice picture of what's going on microscopically inside of me and you and at the hearts of stars. That's right. We've come a long way from thinking that the universe and everything in it is made out of four things like earth, wind and fire and water to basically chop up the entire matter of the universe into smaller and smaller bits until we get to basically bits that you can't chop up anymore. And it's been a really fascinating ride, not just discovering what matter is inside of us, which is mostly the up quark, the down quark and the electron, because you can assemble the up quark and the down quark into protons and neutrons and put the electrons around them to make atoms, but also to discover what else the universe can do. The things that we are made out of are the stable bits, the things that last forever and can get mixed together to make more interesting chemistry. But there are also other weird things that the universe can do, things that don't last for very long. So they take special conditions to reveal them. Yeah, the universe has its own buffet of things that it can make out there. And not just the things that we can eat, but that make up who we are. There's lots of other things out there in the universe. And little by little, we've put together a pretty complete picture of what's out there or what can be out there in the universe. We have a whole fun series of podcast episodes about the discoveries of these particles, how the top quark was discovered, how the gluon was discovered, how the photon was discovered, all these pieces of the standard model. And we put them together into a picture and ask like, does it work? Are there any missing bits? And that's how some of those discoveries were made. We like assemble them together and we notice patterns. We say, huh, there's a hole here. I wonder if there's another particle missing. The way you can look at the periodic table and say, where's element 34? Why is there a 33 and a 35? There should be one in the middle. In the same way, we filled in a lot of the gaps in the standard model just by looking for patterns and hoping for simplicity and mathematical beauty and symmetry. And this has been a very useful guiding principle in helping us to discover things. That's how, for example, we knew to look for the Higgs boson. Yeah, we have a periodic table for the fundamental particles of nature. It's called the standard model. And it, it does kind of look like the periodic table, right? It's a grid and you got little spots for all the different particles like quarks and electrons and neutrinos. And they're sort of in order also. It sort of looks like a periodic table. Yeah, because there are patterns there. Like you can take the electron, the muon, and the tau, and you notice that they're increasing in mass. The muon is heavier than the electron. The tau is heavier than the muon. And the same pattern exists in the up quark, the charm quark, and the top quark. The charm and the top are just like heavier versions of the up quark. So we notice these patterns. We see these things in the table. And so we arrange our table in that way to bring out those patterns, to like inspire us to think about what could be explaining them. And so there's sort of two directions to think about there. One is like, well, what's inside these particles? Is there a deeper layer of reality? And that's definitely something we're exploring. But sometimes we look in the other direction and we say, well, what are the consequences of these particles? What can these particles do? If this is real, if those particles are actually out there, what do we expect to see in our colliders? What can these things come together to make? And that's another very fruitful way to test our understanding of what's going on in the particle world. Yeah, so we have a grid called the standard model. And um, it's called the standard model because they think it's standard and it's a model. But when did they come up with this name, I wonder? And how did they know it's going to be standard for the entire universe? <laughs> 
<laughs> I knew you were going to have concerns about the names. The standard model itself comes out of the 70s when people realized that there were connections between the weak force and electromagnetism. And that explained a lot of what we were seeing happening with the electron and the muons. And so they put this together into a model of leptons, which then became a standard model of leptons. And so it was sort of adopted around then. And standard, in that sense, just sort of means like consensus. There are lots of different views of what was happening in particles. And this just sort of emerged as the most popular model, the one that people thought was the most parsimonious and explained what we were seeing. And it also predicted the Higgs boson. And so when we saw the Higgs boson in nature, people were like, yep, that's it. The standard model is the way to go. Mm, interesting. It's uh, it's like the thing that all physicists can agree on, kind of. <laughs> Mostly. It, it there, can happen. <laughs> it can happen. Although, of course, there are lots of disagreements about what is the standard model. Some people, for example, say that the standard model requires neutrinos to have no mass. But we know neutrinos do have mass. And some people say, no, no, we can have massive neutrinos in the standard model. And so there's a lot of disagreement about exactly what constitutes the standard model. Probably was a bad idea to call it standard in the first place. <laughs> yeah, maybe should have called it a model. <laughs> but it's interesting because like what you said is that it's not just a sort of like a listing of all the fundamental particles, kind of like the periodic table is. It's also kind of about the rules that govern what happens between the things in the table. And a lot of it is also just the math of how all, all of these things work. Just like the periodic table, it's not just a listing of elements. It's also like a model of how the electron, you know, orbits around the nucleus and what happens when two uh, atoms get close together. How do they share electrons and things like that? The standard model also, there's a lot more to it than just uh, listing the particles. Yeah, exactly. We often focus on the matter particles like the up quark, the down quark and the electron. But also in the standard model, we have the force particles, the photon, the W, the Z, the gluon. And as you say, these play a very important role in building things. Without the forces, you couldn't put the up, the down, the electron together to make ice cream or kittens or lava or hamsters or anything, right? Really, the forces are required. And I often feel that way when somebody says, oh, the atom is mostly empty space because they imagine this tiny little little nucleus with its tiny electrons really far apart from each other and mostly empty space. But the truth is, it's not really empty. It's filled with fields, force fields and virtual particles tying them together. It's a swarm of oscillating energy. And so you're right, we need to think not just about the little bits of matter, but also the forces that tie them together and how that works and what those can do. And that's something we are still exploring, still trying to figure out. Yeah, I think that's something that maybe a lot of people don't know. And I wonder if that's because, you know, when they discovered the Higgs boson, it was kind of a big deal, at least that's what the headline said, that it was a big deal because it completed the standard model. The Higgs boson sort of like was the cherry on top where it put the last little Lego piece or jigsaw puzzle piece on the standard model. And then then, then you guys were done, <laughs> right? You could all retire and, and become AI experts or something. We've been napping in our offices ever since. Yes, confirmed. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Then I do want my money back. <laughs> Please. Wait for the check. Yeah, and so it was sort of a big deal because it, they said it, it completed the standard model, but uh, you're telling me that maybe that it's not complete. Maybe it's something that people disagree about still. Yeah, well, it's not like the New York Times were liars or anything when they said it completed the standard model. That's true from one perspective. 
from the perspective of like looking at the periodic table of fundamental particles and saying, do we have all the pieces necessary to make a complete theory? You know, are there any obvious holes? And so we had found the top quark, we had found the tau lepton, and the last like definitely predicted missing fundamental piece, little jigsaw piece, as you say, was the Higgs boson. It was definitely missing and we definitely needed to find it if the standard model was real, if it was a description of nature. And now we found it and it clicks in and we do have what we consider a fairly complete theory. Of course, it doesn't describe gravity or dark matter or all sorts of other crazy stuff. And we just did an episode about like the problems of the standard model. But, you know, from one perspective, it really did complete it. It was like an obvious hole that needed to be filled. There are no more open holes in that sense, like fundamental particles that the standard model predicts that we haven't found yet. From another perspective, there's lots of things left to study, you know, like how these particles dance together to make new things. That's not how these particles come together to make more interesting, complicated things. That's not something we fully yet understand. And there are lots of predictions there that have not yet been verified. Yeah, I feel like you're pulling off a nice marketing trick here where you're saying like, what we did was awesome and it was all that money and we finished it, but there are still things less to do. So keep giving us money. <laughs> that is the summary of every science grant proposal ever, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Not go. just in particle physics. <laughs> I see. It's just a reflex for you to... <laughs> well, you know, that's the story. It's like, look, we did awesome stuff with the money you gave us. We will do more awesome stuff with the future money we hope you keep giving us. That's the way it works. <laughs> well, like you said, there's still more to discover, I guess, or to check off about all of the things that the standard model predicts. And so one of those predictions is kind of an interesting sounding object. It is a super fun prediction of the standard model and one people have been hunting for for a long time and disagree about whether it's possible to find it or whether we already have. It's a sticky subject. Well, today on the episode, we'll be tackling the question. What is a glue ball? That sounds like um, something that happens when you're playing with glue. It does sound like a very everyday object, but it's also a very esoteric prediction by the standard model that's been surprisingly difficult to verify. Actually, it does kind of sound like something that might be useful, like a ball made out of glue that then you can use to stick things together. It sounds like the thing you would keep next to your rubber band ball. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's start selling those. You can get those on our online store now. Balls of glue. <laughs> oh, man. With little bits of the LHC stuck inside. Yeah, there you go. Or it's sticking together bits of the LHC. Even better. <laughs> How does the LHC work? It's held together with spit and glue balls. Well, that might be actually true, right? That might be actually true, yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure a lot of <laughs> physicists were drooling when they were putting it together. That's where all the spit comes from. Well, anyways, as usual, we were wondering how many people out there had heard of a glue ball or have any idea what it can be. So thank you very much to everybody who answers these random questions. It's super helpful to get a sense for what people already know and what they think about these ideas. So think about it for a second. What do you think a glue ball can be? Here's what people had to say. It must be some silly ball made by kids to play with during lunch or recess. Yeah, I'm, I'm kidding. So glue ball is a very relatively new concept. It is basically combination of gluon particles without any valence quark. A glue ball sounds like something to do with gluons. That That's maybe like a ball of gluons, just a bunch of them just interacting and stuff, just hanging out. A glue ball. Yeah, I have no clue what that could possibly be. The only thing that comes to mind maybe 
is it might have something to do with gluons. But other than that, I can't even begin to guess. Uh, probably something my cat pukes after she ate some glue. I don't know. All right. Sounds like we're not the only ones who thought um, <laughs> it's a kid's toy <laughs> or that it involves spit somehow from cats. Mm, I feel sorry for that guy's cat. I mean, who lets their cat eat glue? Seriously. I don't know. But are you responsible if your cat eats glue or is that the cat's fault? <laughs> I don't know. But if your cat turns out to be a serial killer, maybe you are responsible. Well, at least the cat wouldn't get far, very far. It'll just get stick to everything. <laughs> the sticky glue ball serial killer. Yeah, sticky cat. It's the new meme. But I think a lot of these folks really got the idea from the name, right? A ball of gluons. Maybe this is actually a thing in particle physics that has gasp. An appropriate name. Well, I don't know. Let's see if it is a ball or not. <laughs> I bet it's more like a tetra tetrahedron or something. I see. You're going to withhold judgment. All right. Let's dig in. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's see what happens here. Well, step us through this, uh, Daniel. Uh, what is a glue ball? So a glue ball is a predicted particle that would be made entirely of gluons. No quarks, no electrons, no other matter particles at all, just gluons. Mm, okay, so it's a theoretical or a predicted object that can happen out in nature and you would get it by putting together gluons. Now, what are gluons? Right. So this is a predicted particle, the standard model. It says gluons should be able to come together and make this weird thing we call a glue ball. So to understand that, you have to understand what is a gluon, right? So as we said earlier, each of the forces that are out there, the fundamental forces that we know about, get mediated in terms of fields. But you can also think about them in terms of particles. Like what happens when two electrons talk to each other? What they're doing is they're pushing on each other and they push on each other using their electric fields. But you can also think about those fields as like a swarm of virtual photons. So one way to think about how two electrons talk to each other is that they bounce photons back and forth. They're using photons to send messages to each other. So every force that's out there, you can think about in terms of a field or the particle for that field. So for electromagnetism, we have the photon, which is the particle which carries the electromagnetic force. And then for the strong force, we also have fields and those fields are gluon fields. And so the gluon is the particle that carries the strong force. So for example, how do you make a proton? We well, make it out of up quarks and down quarks. How do you tie the up quarks and down quarks together into a proton? You use gluons. So inside the proton, it's not just up quarks and down quarks. There's a whole mess of gluons in there holding it together. Yeah, we talked a little bit about this in our last podcast about how photons are the particles that kind of um, mediate, like you said, the electromagnetic force. Like every time an electron is repelled by another electron or an electron is attracted to another particle like a proton, there's an exchange of photons. But we also kind of talked about how these are not like real, real particles like they don't actually exchange these particles it's more sort of like in the sense of like quantum virtual particles right yeah that's exactly right i find it more intuitive to think about these things in terms of fields like the electron has a field and it's using that field to push on another electron. But if you don't like the idea of fields, you can also think about these things in terms of virtual particles. And you just replace the field with an infinite number of virtual particles that are filling space. Mathematically, it's really the same thing. And those are the virtual particles, which are not like real particles. 
But these fields are also capable of having real particles, like what is a real photon, a photon that leaves the sun and hits your eyeball? That's a ripple in the electromagnetic field. And in the same way, a gluon, like a real gluon, is a ripple in the gluon field. So there can be virtual gluons exchanged between particles inside a proton, for example, and there are also real gluons that can like fly through space. Mm, okay, so there are real gluons and virtual gluons. And so like you're saying, these are, these are the particles that um, mediate or that transmit the strong force, which is what keeps quarks together to make protons and neutrons. And, and those are the nuclei in all of the atoms in your body. But maybe um, let's paint the picture of how these gluons actually keep things together. And then let's talk about what happens when you try to glue two gluons together. So let's get into that. But first, let's take a quick break. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second grade teacher, and written by my husband Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. 
comedian, writer and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. We're talking about glue balls, which is uh, not a toy, but it is a pretty good name for a toy. Yeah, that's right. Gluons sound ridiculous, but they are a real thing in particle physics. And we use them in our calculations and they exist in nature, sticking your quarks together to make you. Okay, so we talked about how gluons are the particles that transmit the strong force. And so you said they sort of come up when, for example, a quark is attracted to another quark. So maybe paint us a picture. I'm a quark and I have another quark here next to me and I feel the strong force between us. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm like throwing gluons at each other or does it mean that there are virtual gluons popping up in the space between us or what does that mean? Yeah, the way you should think about it is that quarks have a field. That field is just like an electric field from an electron, but electrons have electric charges, which is what makes the electric field. And quarks have a different kind of charge. They have a charge for the strong force, which is a different force from electromagnetism. And that kind of charge we call a color charge because it has three different varieties, red, green, and blue. So electromagnetism has like plus and minus charges. The color charge is much different and very weird. There's three versions of it can be like blue or green or red and so it can have a field a color field and that color field pulls or pushes on other things that have color charges to them so for example that quark inside your proton has a color field and that color field is applying a force to the other quarks inside the proton now you can always think about these fields in terms of virtual particles and so the virtual particle for this field is a gluon so one way to think about it is these quarks are bound together because of their color field that's putting forces on the other quarks or that they're exchanging virtual gluons constantly to tie themselves together into a proton. Mm, and you sort of need this idea of uh, particles that transmit the force because these forces are not, as far as we can see, instantaneous. Like if I'm a quark here and you're a quark over there, I don't exert a force in you kind of immediately or magically, right? Like there's something that has to somehow go from here to there. Mm -hmm. No information can move instantaneously in the universe. And that's why, for example, if you take an electron, it has a static electric field. But then if you wiggle that electron, the whole field doesn't move all at once. Like that field extends from here to your neighbor's house. But if you wiggle the electron, your neighbor can't tell that you wiggled it instantly. They have to wait for that wiggle to move through the field to get to him. And that's what we think of as a ripple in that field, which you can interpret as a particle. In fact, that's how you make photons. You take electrons and you wiggle them. That's what an antenna is. And so you can interpret these ripples in the field, sometimes in terms of real particles, if they have certain properties, special ripples, or if there are other kinds of ripples in the field, then we just call them virtual particles. 
Mm, okay, so now let's paint the picture. I have a cork right here in front of me, and it's a red cork. And you right next to me have a green cork, and so which means that two corks are sort of attracting each other, right? And pulling on each other to smush them together through the strong force, but they're not moving yet. What's happening? Are there like virtual gluons popping up in the in the in between the two? Am I is my cork sending gluons to your cork? How do you, how would you describe it? Or nothing's happening until one of them moves. Remember that these are quantum particles, so you can't really think of them as having like a specific location and velocity. The same way you can't really think about the electron as having a specific location and velocity as it moves around the nucleus. Instead, you can think of it as having like a probability distribution of various possible locations around the nucleus because it's trapped in a little well. The nucleus creates an electromagnetic potential which traps the electron inside of it. And the electron is somewhere in that well, but we don't know exactly where. So in the same way, these quarks all create color potential, a strong force potential, which traps the other quarks with them inside this potential. So where is any individual quark? Well, it's not determined, just as a probability distribution, but it's all balanced and solved and all the quarks have a happy wave function to be on top of each other inside this little potential well that they all create. So it's like a little bound state of these quantum functions. Mm, I guess it's sort of like, you know, like you're saying, the cork that I have here, my red cork, isn't really like a billiard ball. It's more like a fuzzy cloud here that I'm holding. And then your uh, cork is also not a billiard ball. It's another fuzzy cloud. And so when I sort of bring them together, the two clouds kind of merge or smoosh together into one sort of like a system made out of two particles. That's kind of what you're saying, right? It's like the... It's more like the two quantum functions or wave functions merge together to make one that maybe has some sort of potential to stay together. Remember that quantum mechanics tells us that the universe is random, but it's not totally random. It's still deterministic in some way. Like old Newtonian classical physics told us that everything was like a billiard ball. And if you bounce things the same way twice, the same thing would happen. Everything was deterministic. Quantum mechanics says, well, we're deterministic, but only about the probabilities. Quantum mechanics says, I will predict exactly what the probability of various outcomes is. I won't tell you which outcome is going to happen, but I'll tell you the various probabilities. So here, quantum mechanics applies to these little particles and it says, well, your red cork has a higher chance of being over here and a smaller chance of being over there. And they have to satisfy all the mathematics of the equations. And so you can solve these equations and figure out where the red cork is likely to be, given that there's a blue cork nearby and a green cork nearby inside the proton. The really cool thing about the strong force is these weird charges. Like the atom is neutral because you have a positively charged nucleus and a negatively charged electron. Plus one and minus one make zero, right? Well, the proton has no color charge because inside of it, it has one of each of the charges. It has a red, a green, and a blue. And together, those add up to make no color or white, as we call it, in the same way that like having one of each of the electromagnetic charges, plus and minus, add up to zero electromagnetic charge. And so that's how the quarks add up. But then where do the gluons come in? So the gluons are super duper weird and much more complicated than in electromagnetism. Electromagnetism, you have two charges and you just have the single photon which transmits it. The photon itself is not charged, right? The photon is a neutral object, which is going to be important because photons, they don't like bounce off of each other. They pass right through each other for the most part. Check out our whole podcast episode about lightsabers and photons bouncing off each other. But gluons are different. Gluons are charged. 
changed in color. In fact, gluons have two colors. So for example, like a quark has one color, like red or blue or green. A gluon has two colors simultaneously. It can be like red and anti-blue or blue and anti-green. Does that depend on sort of like what the two quarks are that are interacting? Like if I have a red quark and you have a green quark, is it that they can only exchange red-green or red and anti-green gluons? Yeah, it's just like that. If you have, for example, a blue quark and a green quark, the blue quark can emit a blue anti-green gluon and then it becomes green. Its blueness has gone into the gluon and it becomes green because it also gave that gluon anti-green. Then the green quark absorbs the blue anti-green gluon and it becomes a blue quark. So like a blue cork and a green cork can swap colors by exchanging a gluon. Mm. And so this swapping happens when they move relative to each other? Is it always happening at all times, like with these virtual particles? What exactly is going on? Well, like everything else quantum mechanical, nothing is definitive. So you have your quarks inside the proton and none of them are like actually red or actually green or actually blue. They all have a probability to have one of those colors simultaneously. And if you really needed to know, you would like send a really high energy particle inside the proton to break it up to figure out what the color was. And then the universe would roll the die and say, okay, this one happened to be green at that moment, or this one happened to be red at that moment. But just right now inside your proton, as everything is jingling, each of your quarks has a simultaneous probability for each of these colors. But the fact that the gluon has to have these colors itself makes it really complicated. So two gluons can also interact with each other the way two photons really cannot. Two gluons can talk to each other directly. Okay, and you're talking about the real gluons or the virtual gluons? Both, all kinds of gluons. These fields all bounce off each other and interact with each other and make more gluons. Two gluons can come together to make two more gluons. It gets really complicated really fast because everybody's talking to everybody else. Mm, all right, so then uh, gluons are particles, just like an electron is or a photon is, they have their own field in the universe. I'm trying to put the picture here together. And what they do is they sort of fly or exist between different quarks that have the color charge. And that's sort of how the strong force comes about. And they have different flavors, different colors. And sometimes these gluons can interact with each other. And I imagine they can also stick to each other, which is maybe where a glue ball comes in. Exactly. Because they can talk to each other and they have charges relative to each other, they feel forces relative to each other, they can also get bound together. They can form complicated stuff. But wait, if two gluons can interact and, and push on each other, what causes the pushing? <laughs> Is there a force, another force particle just for transmitting the strong force or the glue force between gluons? No, they can push on each other directly the way like a photon can push on an electron directly. That's an immediate interaction. Those two fields couple and energy can flow from one to the other. Gluons can talk to each other directly without any other intermediate particle. Like quarks can't talk to each other directly. They have to use photons or gluons or whatever. But those photons can talk to quarks or to electrons. Gluons can talk to each other directly. Like in the language of Feynman diagrams, you can have a vertex that's just like gluon, gluon, gluon. Or four gluons, in fact, can make a vertex. So you don't need an intermediate field. This is the field and it can talk to itself. And that's kind of weird, right? Because, for example, the photon 
electron is another particle that transmits forces, but it can interact with itself. That's right. It can't interact with itself. So you can't have like a light ball. You know, there is ball lightning out there, I think people think, but it's not like photons bound together in the same way. But gluons, because they can do this, they can talk to each other, they can feel forces relative to each other. They can create a little potential well and trap each other inside and they can make, we think, this particle called a glue ball, which is a particle made just out of gluons, which is really weird because it would have no matter particles inside, no fermions at all, no electrons, no quarks, nothing that we think of as making up matter. It would be pure force. Mm, now, do gluons only attract each other or do they also repel each other or does it depend on what color combination they are? It depends on the color combination. It also depends on the distance. The strong force is super duper weird and it's very attractive at some distances and repulsive at other distances. And the strong force in general is very difficult to understand and also to do calculations with. One, because it's so strong. Like a lot of times when we're doing calculations, the actual calculation we want to do is impossible. Say, for example, I want to know how an electron is going to move through the universe. To really know that, I have to account for like, all the electrons that are out there, the electrons in other galaxies, technically those affect my electron. But because they're so far away, I can ignore it. I'll mostly get the right answer. That's not true for the strong force. The strong force is so strong, so powerful that a lot of these effects, other quarks in other places and gluons that are created by other gluons become very, very difficult to calculate and are not small effects. And so the approximations that help us succeed in doing otherwise impossible calculations for other forces, those tricks don't work for the strong force. So a lot of basic stuff about the strong force, we just don't know how to calculate because Gluons can do this thing where they create other gluons and because the force itself is so powerful. Mm. Well, going back to my question, I guess, is like what makes two gluons attract each other? Is it like all the red ones attract anything with red or repel anything with that has red in it? You know, like if I have a red blue gluon, what does it get attracted to? A green blue? <laughs> uh, well, you can't have a red blue gluon. You can have like a red anti blue or a blue anti red or like a red anti red gluon. But whether they're attracted to each other or repel to each other depends on a lot of complicated calculations. I mean, the attraction comes from like having a potential. Remember, all forces in the universe really come from potential differences. Forces are due to changes in the potential. Things like to roll downhill is a gravitational force because the gravitational potential energy is lower at the bottom of the hill. Or electrons are pushed towards the nucleus because that's where the bottom of the electromagnetic potential is. So to think about things in terms of forces pulling or pushing, you have to understand where the potential is at a minimum. And that's really complicated for the strong force. It's not always that simple. Remember, we, we even tried to talk about it once for the weak force. And it's not always obvious whether, for example, W bosons and Z bosons push or pull on each other. They can do both or sometimes it depends on the context. And that's even more complicated here for the strong force. So in some arrangements, these gluons can tug on each other, create a potential minimum and get trapped in this well and become a bound state. Mm, OK, so I'm getting the sense that it's complicated. It's complicated. But it can seem to happen uh, throughout. If you sort of pierce through all of the math, there are situations where uh, you can get a couple, uh, two or maybe more gluons kind of um, wanting to hang out with each other really close together. That's kind of the idea I'm getting. 
Yeah, from the calculations, which are not perfect and are approximate and nobody's 100% confident in them, we see this prediction emerge that gluons should be able to get bound to each other and create this persistent state that lives for a little while, not forever. It's not stable. It's not like you can make a glue ball and then come back a billion years later and still have a glue ball. But very briefly, they'll hang out in this little state, do their thing, and then explode into a shower of other particles. That's the prediction. Mm. And so when they come together, that's what you would call a glue ball. Except ironically, the gluons don't stick around very long. <laughs> They're not as sticky as we'd like them to be. <laughs> gluons are not sticky. <laughs> you mean glue balls don't stick together? And you were saying this is a good name? Maybe in supersymmetry, we'll have super gluons and those will make super glue balls that will really stick together. Mm, there you go. All right, so then, um, so gluons can stick to each other and, and you think this happens. Now, does this happen with real gluons or virtual gluons or it can happen to both? This happens from real gluons. So if you create enough real gluons, they can come together to make a glue ball. In the same way that, for example, if you make quarks, you make a spray of quarks, quarks do not like to be apart. If two quarks are very far apart from each other, there's a huge potential energy there. And that potential energy gets turned into other particles. And those particles quickly find partners and form mesons and baryons. Those are combinations of pairs or triplets of quarks. So, for example, you have protons or pions or K mesons or all sorts of other stuff. You know, at the Large Hadron Collider, when we smash two protons together, we expose the quarks inside them briefly. We get these sprays of quarks and gluons, but they really don't like to be by themselves. And so they very very quickly create these streams of other particles with them and then they form these states and so what we actually see in our detector are streams of like protons and kaons and neutrons and all sorts of other stuff so quarks do this they find partners and form other states and so we think that maybe gluons can do this too that like two or three gluons can come together and make something we would call a glue ball because mm, the math is telling you that uh, they are sort of compatible, that there is sort of a way where you can put together two or three gluons that where they'll want to stick together. Exactly. And they will be color neutral. They will be white. You can match all their colors together to make a color neutral object, which in principle should last for a little while. All right. Well, let's dig a little bit deeper into what a glue ball is like and whether or not we found it. And if we have, what does it mean about our understanding of the universe? But first, let's take another quick break. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia. And I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox, 
you can't go around it. So you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Parents, ready to discover a new educational and interactive podcast for kids? Join Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids, where episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We learned how to recycle at the beach. That was great fun. Callie, what do you say? It was. And that time when we did the science experiments and Billy made raisins dance. That is so cool, Billy. He did. <laughs> Not to mention when a certain Elliot took up swimming classes with Lisa. That was me! <laughs> Bet you can't catch me. I'm going to catch you. All this fun and more in our Stories for Kids. Lingo Kids Stories for Kids is now available on Story Button, the kid-friendly device for screenless podcast listening. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're talking about a very sticky subject, glue balls, which is what happens when you potentially get a couple of gluons together. They'll maybe stick to each other and form basically a ball of glue. (laughs) A literal ball of fundamental glue. It sounds like you're saying that if you take a couple of gluons and and they do stick together, then they wouldn't be sticky anymore because it would all sort of cancel each other out (laughs) in terms of their charge, right? So would a glue ball be sticky at all? It wouldn't, right? It would just be um, neutral. That's a great point. They'd be sticky on the inside, right? But all the stickiness would be reserved for the other gluons. On the other hand, you know, that's also true of protons. Technically, protons have no color charge. And yet, if you bring a bunch of protons together, they can get stuck together from the residual color charge. If you're on one side of the proton, you might be closer to one of the quarks than the others. So the charges don't exactly balance. And that's how the nucleus is together. So in principle, it might be possible to like 
have a bunch of glue balls and have them all stick together. But yeah, they're stickiest on the inside for sure. Mm, you mean they might be sticky on the outside, but from afar, a glue ball would not be very gluey. Yeah, a glue ball technically has no color charge and no electric charge either. All right, well, what else can you tell us about these theoretical glue balls? So it's predicted that if these gluons exist, that they would not be very, very heavy. You know, they would only be like one to five giga electron volts in mass, which is not that heavy. You know, a proton is about one giga electron volt. So we're talking about something that's like one to five times as massive as the proton. And that sounds like something we should be able to discover because our collider has found things that are much, much heavier. We're usually limited by the energy. You want to make something really massive, you have to pour enough energy into the collision to make that thing. Because remember, energy and mass are sort of interchangeable. You want to make a heavy Higgs boson, you have to have enough energy of 125 protons in your collision. But our collider is super powerful. It's 13,000 GeV in the collision. So there's plenty of energy to make heavy stuff. Glue balls are really pretty light in comparison. They're not really very massive. They're only a few proton masses worth. Well, it's interesting that they have mass, right? Do gluons, like does an individual gluon have mass by itself? It's a force-transmitting force, force transmitting particle. Does it have mass on its own? It doesn't. Gluons themselves do not have mass, like photons do not have mass. But a glue ball would have mass the same way that like a proton has mass. Most of the mass of a proton doesn't come from the quarks that make it up. Like a proton is one GeV, but the quarks inside of it are like 1% of that mass. Most of the mass of the proton actually comes from the gluons inside the proton. Because remember that mass is this weird thing. It's not just like how much stuff is inside something. It's all of the internal stored energy. So if you have a bunch of energy stored in the bonds between your quarks, that counts towards your mass. And that's true for other kinds of things. Like if you could get a bunch of photons and store them inside something, even if they're massless, they would add to the mass of that object. In fact, you take a rock and it absorbs a photon, that rock gets more massive because it's now absorbed that photon's energy. So mass is a weird thing. You can make it out of massless stuff. Well, we've talked about before, and I know we talked about this in our book, Frequently Asked Questions About the Universe, that mass uh, doesn't really exist. Like mass is just energy. And what you think of as gravity or inertia is really just what happens when you kind of concentrate energy in one little spot. And so that's kind of what's happening here is like an individual gluon doesn't have mass, but when you put it together with another gluon, you're sort of trapping energy in one spot. And then, and then suddenly you've got a little spot of energy. And so that feels gravity and it feels inertia. Yeah, that's what we call mass, right? That's inertial mass is localized, internally stored energy has this property that if you push on it, it takes a force to accelerate it. That's what we call inertial mass. And that's kind of a weird and deep mystery of the universe. But yeah, you can make it out of massless stuff, as you say, as long as you concentrate some energy in there. And glue balls definitely have energy inside them. These gluons have energy, even though they are massless. All right. Well, it sounds like a glue ball is not really sticky. And like you were saying, it's also unstable. Like it's not only not sticky, but it doesn't want to stick to itself very well. <laughs> yeah, like many of these particles, it's unstable. You know, the proton is a very unusual particle because it is stable, but every other combination of quarks, for example, is unstable. Even the neutron will fall apart in about 11 minutes. 
And these other particles, pions and kaons, they're created, they live sometimes very briefly before they spray out into other lighter particles. And the glue ball is no different. It's a combination of these strong color charged particles, but it also decays into other stuff. And so, for example, a glue ball can turn into two photons or it can turn into like four quarks or a shower of gluons or all sorts of other stuff. You can get showered with glue bits. <laughs> yeah, they can basically explode into little bits of glue. Wow. Doesn't sound very glue-like at all. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm slowly ungluing your uh, use of the name glue here. Oh, man. Well, I guess the big question now is, have we found glue balls? They're theoretical. We think they can exist and maybe exist out there using our math. But uh, have we found one? Have you ever seen a glue ball? The weird thing is that we're not sure. Sometimes it's very obvious when you've discovered a particle because there's only one thing that it can do and nothing else can do that. So, for example, when we discovered the Higgs boson, we didn't see the Higgs directly, but we saw pairs of photons that it decayed into that were flying apart from each other with a very specific characteristic energy. And we found lots and lots of examples of photons with those kinds of energies, and we said this can only really come from the Higgs boson, and therefore we're pretty sure we found the Higgs boson. And the key there is that it was doing something unusual, something that made it like stick out from the background. Now, glue balls are much more complicated because, number one, we're not exactly sure what they can do. Like, we're not sure exactly how much mass they have. Maybe they have one GeV. Maybe they have five GeV. Maybe we're wrong and they have like 50 GeV. We're not sure because the calculations we talked about are very complicated and make a lot of approximations that nobody really believes are right and we hope didn't mess up the calculations. And also, there's lots of other particles down there. Like the Higgs boson, we found it where there are very, very few particles of that kind of mass, very heavy particles. But there's lots and lots of very light particles. If you look at like the list of particles, there's like hundreds of particles around one GeV, all sorts of crazy combinations of quarks. So it's hard to pick out a new one and say, oh, this one is a glue ball, especially because we're not exactly sure what a glue ball would look like. Mm, I see the theory doesn't predict what it would look like. So the theory is impossible to do perfectly. There's lots of approximations people have made and they make different predictions. Some predict like 1.4 GeV, some predict 5 GeV, and they also give different predictions for how these things might appear. You know, these glue balls have different properties from the other particles, like their weird internal spin and other quantum states. Those might make like characteristic signatures, you know, like how they turn into other particles and how those particles look, their angles between each other and their relative spin states and this kind of stuff. But again, different theoretical calculations make different predictions here. And it's also sometimes hard to disentangle from what we're seeing out there. So for example, there is a particle that people have found that has about one and a half GeV, it's called the F0. And there's a raging debate in the literature about whether or not it is a glue ball. Some people say this is totally consistent with the glue ball. And other people say, no, look, it can do this and that and glue balls shouldn't be able to do that. So we don't think it's a glue ball. Nobody can really agree about whether the F0 is a glue ball or not. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. You've discovered a particle out there. You gave it the name F0, but you don't know what it is. What do you mean you don't know what it is? <laughs> what do you mean you found something that you don't know what it is? is? Wouldn't that be a big deal? So we found this particle. We've seen it decay into like two pions or into four pions, right? And so we know that it exists. 
We can see that it's there. Like you find the pions, you add up their energies. They're consistent with a particle of mass one and a half GeV. That doesn't mean that we know what's inside the F0. Like is the F0 made out of two quarks? Can you explain what the F0 is doing just using quarks? Or do you need this special gluon state to explain it? People disagree about whether what the F0 is doing can be explained using only quarks or requires gluons to explain it. Mm, I see. So you're not quite sure if you found a particle. You found some something uh, that could be a particle. We found something. The F0 is definitely something. It exists. We're just not sure what's inside of it. Like, is the F0 made out of quarks or is it made out of gluons? Nobody's 100% sure because it's a mess down there. It's hard to make very precise measurements of what the F0 is doing. We're sure it's there. Nobody's doubting that the F0 is real. They just don't really know exactly what it's doing and what it's made out of. Well, are, are people looking for gluons or is this something you're just looking at um from the debris of other experiments. Is there like a glue ball experiment out there? <laughs> and, and are the scientists called glue ballers? <laughs> this is a really exciting frontier in particle physics, but also very, very difficult. You know, it's a place where we don't have crisp predictions and it's really hard to see what's happening because everything is a big messy spray of particles. It's not like very crisp and clear, one photon, one electron bouncing off of each other like in the early days. You get like a big mess of stuff and you have to sift through. But there are dedicated experiments just to understanding the strong force and specifically to understanding gluons. So at Jefferson Lab on the East Coast of the United States is an experiment called GLUEX. I don't know if they pronounce it GLUEX or GLUEX or GLUEX, I'm not exactly sure, but it's an experiment that's running right now to study specifically gluons. What can they do? Can we find glue balls? Can we see it doing other stuff maybe that we didn't expect? Have they found anything? They have not yet found confirmation of glue balls. They're trying to study this F0, but they don't have enough data yet to confirm whether or not that's real and understand its decay products. So far, they've been putting out preliminary studies and understanding all sorts of other things. This is a sort of general powerful detector that can study lots of different things about the strong force. Because whether glue balls exist is one question, but there's so many other questions about what's going on with the strong force. And this is exploring a lot of them. Would you say then that they're kind of stuck at the moment? <laughs> I would say it's a sticky question. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's see if they do find glue balls. And it's kind of an interesting idea because like I think as you're saying, it's not just about finding the glue ball themselves. It's about understanding how the strong force works, right? Like it's a, one of the fundamental forces of nature. It's what keeps our nucleus in our atoms together. But it sounds like we don't really sort of like know everything about it or know exactly how it works. And so finding or not finding a glue ball would sort of tell you a little bit about what's going on at that level. Yeah, that's exactly right. The same way that understanding the structure of the atom has taught us a lot about electromagnetism, you know, why electrons fill these shells, the hyperfine splitting of electron energy levels has led to a really deep understanding of magnetism and spin and electricity and all this kind of stuff. You know, seeing these forces in action, what kind of complex things they can do reveals their fundamental nature. So we're trying to do the same thing for the strong force, like see the strong force in action, see what it's capable of, what it can't do, and that'll tell us if we understand what it's doing or not. But in the end, it's much harder than it is for electromagnetism because it's more complex. Instead of one photon, we have eight gluons of all sorts of different colors sloshing around and banging into each other and confusing each other. It's like having a conversation with eight toddlers at the same time. Every physicist dream. <laughs> but it sounds like it is a prediction of the current standard model, like our current model of the universe does predict that glue balls 
uh, should exist. And so if you find them, it would be another confirmation, maybe the final confirmation about the standard model. But if you don't find them and you can conclusively say that they do not exist, then maybe we need to rethink our whole model of the universe. Yeah, that's exactly right. It would be almost as big a deal as discovering the Higgs boson if we did find confirmation of a glue ball. Or, or not a confirmation of a glue ball. Yeah, if you could prove that glue balls don't exist, that would also be fascinating. I can just see the headlines. Scientists find glue balls do not exist. <laughs> Scientists fail to find glue balls again. Scientists get stuck with glue balls. <laughs> All right. Well, we hope you enjoyed that. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Thanks for listening. And remember that Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.